Section 18 of Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 2, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. Philippa of Hainaut, Chapter 1, Part 1. The happy union of the illustrious Philippa with her thrice-renowned lord had been previously cemented by mutual preference, manifested in the first sweet springtime of existence, when Prince Edward took refuge with his mother, Queen Isabella, at the court of Hainaut. Count William of Hainaut had, at that time, four daughters, says Froissart. These were Margaret, Philippa, Joanna, and Isabel. The young prince, during his mother's residence in Hainaut, paid more court and attention to Philippa than any of the others. The young lady also conversed with him more frequently, and sought his company oftener than any of her sisters. This was in 1326, when Prince Edward was in his fifteenth year, and the Lady Philippa a few months younger. She possessed some Flemish beauty, being tall in stature, and adorned with the brilliant complexion for which the women of that country are celebrated. The poet of her time has commemorated her roseate hue and beauty bright, and we can well imagine, though Philippa's matron charms became a little too exuberant in after life, that as a sweet-tempered Flemish girl in her fifteenth year, her early bloom was very lovely. The youthful lovers, after residing together in the palace of the Count of Hainaut at Valenciennes, for about a fortnight were separated. Edward embarked with his mother and John of Hainaut on the dangerous expedition of invading his unfortunate father's kingdom, while his beloved was left in a state of uncertainty, whether the exigencies of the state and the caprice of relatives would ultimately permit to be joined the hands of those whose hearts had already elected each other. Although a decided affection subsisted between young Edward and Philippa, it was not considered in accordance with the royal etiquette of that era, for the heir of England to acknowledge that he had disposed of his heart without the consent of his parliament and council. Queen Isabella undertook the arrangement of this affair, and soon led the public authorities to the decision that a daughter of the Count of Hainaut would be the most desirable alliance for her son. But, even as late as the 5th of August, 1327, the particular daughter of that family was not pointed out in the document requesting the dispensation of the Pope. The words are, to marry a daughter of that nobleman, William, Count of Hainaut, Holland and Zealand, and Lord of Friesland but the name of Philippa was not once mentioned throughout the letter. Thus the lovers remained seven months after the coronation of Edward in a state of suspense. The council at last gravely decided that Adam Orleton, the notorious bishop of Hereford, should visit the court of Hainaut and choose, among the daughters of the count, the young lady who seemed most worthy to be the queen of England. As the choice of the bishop and king fell on Philippa, the young king had certainly informed Adam Orleton, in confidence, which princess among the fair sisterhood was the elected lady of his heart. The proceedings of the bishop were thus narrated by our last rhyming chronicler, Harding. He sent forth then to Hainaut for a wife, a bishop and other lords temporal. 
among themselves our lords, for high prudence, of the bishop ask counsel and sentence, which daughter of the five should be our queen? Who counseled thus with sad advisement, we will have her with fairest form, I ween, to which they all accorded with one mind, and chose Philippa that was full feminine, as the wise bishop did determine. But then among themselves they laughed, I, those lords then said, their bishop judged full sooth the beauty of a lady. Shortly after the young King Edward completed his sixteenth year, says Froissart, his council sent a bishop, two knights baronets, and two able clerks, to Sir John of Hainault, to beg of him to assist the young king of England in his suit to one of his nieces, since the young king would love her more dearly than any other lady. On his account, Sir John feasted and paid many honors to these messengers. He took them to Valenciennes, where his brother the Count of Hainault gave them such sumptuous entertainments as would be tiresome to relate. He most willingly complied with their requests, if the Pope and Holy Church had no objection. Two of the knights and some able clerks were dispatched to Avignon, for without the Pope's dispensation it could not be done, on account of their near relationship, for their two mothers were cousins German. As soon as they came to Avignon, the Pope and college consented most benignantly. On their return to Valenciennes, immediate preparations were made for the dress and equipage of a lady, who was considered worthy to be the Queen of England. The King, then at Nottingham, empowered the Bishop of Lichfield and Coventry on the 8th of October, 1327, to conclude his marriage with a noble damsel, Philippa of Hainault. He likewise charges his beloved Bartholomew de Berghurst, constable of Dover, to receive and welcome into his kingdom that noble person, William Count of Hainault, with the illustrious damsel Philippa, his daughter, and the familiars of the said count and damsel. And he charges all in singular his nobility and people of the counties, through which the count, damsel, and familiars may pass, to do them honor and give them needful aid. It was necessary for the Lady Philippa and her escort to travel across England to meet the royal bridegroom, who was then performing his warlike novitiate on the Scottish border, under the auspices of his mother and Mortimer, against the great Robert Bruce. Philippa was married at Valenciennes by procuration, soon after the date of this instrument. She embarked for England at Wyson, landed at Dover with all her suite, and arrived in London, December 23, 1327, with the retinue and display of magnificence, in accordance with the great wealth of her country. She was escorted by her uncle, John of Hainault, and not by her father, as was expected. A solemn procession of the clergy introduced her into the city, and she was presented by the Lord Mayor and Aldermen of London, with a service of plate worth three hundred pounds, as a marriage gift a benefaction prompted most likely by the gratitude of the citizens for a treaty of commerce, established between England and the Low Countries in the preceding summer, when these nuptials were first publicly agitated. The king was still with his army in the north, York being his headquarters, and though London was in an uproarious state of rejoicing at her arrival, the royal bride left it immediately to meet her lord. But there were feastings and sumptuous entertainments in London for three weeks after her landing. The hands of Edward and Philippa were united at York, January 24, 1328. 
The magnificence of the espousals was heightened by the grand entry of a hundred of the principal nobility of Scotland, who had arrived in order to conclude a lasting peace with England, cemented by the marriage of the king's little sister Joanna. The Parliament and Royal Council were likewise convened at York, and the flower of the English nobility, then in arms, were assembled round the young king and his bride. The royal pair kept Easter at York, and after the final peace with Scotland, they returned southward from Lincoln to Northampton, and finally settled, in June, at the beautiful summer palace of Woodstock, which seems the principal abiding place of Philippa, while her young husband was yet under the tutelage of Mortimer and the Queen Mother. A dead silence is kept in all the public documents regarding the amount of Philippa's portion, for reasons good, since the Queen Mother had already spent it. As for the usual dower of the Queens of England, the whole of its lands were possessed by the Queen Mother. But by a deed executed at Northampton, May 5th, the King, says the Venerable Father, Roger, Bishop of Litchfield and Coventry, had promised that 15,000 pounds per annum of lands should be settled on her. Isabella provided so well for herself and her daughter-in-law that she left her son, the Sovereign of England, nearly penniless. After assisting at the marriage of his niece, Sir John of Hainaut returned to his native country, laden with jewels and rich presents. Few of the Hainauers who had escorted her to England stayed with Queen Philippa, but among those who remained was a youth named Sir Wantelet de Mauny, whose office was to carve for her. The coronation of the young queen did not take place till more than two years after her marriage. The king, from his palace at Eltham, issued a summons, dated the 28th of February, 1330, for his beloved and faithful Bartholomew de Berghersh, to appear with his barons of the Cinque Ports, to do their customary duties at the coronation of his dearest queen, Philippa, which takes place, if God be propitious, the Sunday next to the Feast of St. Peter, in the Cathedral of Westminster. It took place on that day with no particular splendor, for the rapacity of Isabella and Mortimer had absorbed all the funds provided to support the dignity of the crown. But the period of their sway drew near its close. The young lion of England had already manifested signs of disdain at the ignoble restraint in which he was held. Parliament was summoned that spring at Woodstock, whither Philippa and her royal lord had retired after the coronation. A singular document is dated from thence, the succeeding April, in which the king informs his treasurer, that his faithful and beloved Robert de Vere, being Earl of Oxford, was hereditary chamberlain to the queens of England. At all coronations, the ancestors of the earl had officiated in the same capacity, and that in consequence, he claimed the bed in which the queen had slept, her shoes, and three silver basins, one in which she washed her head, and two others in which she washed her hands. The king desires that the earl may freely receive the basins and the shoes, but as for the bed, the treasurer is to pay the earl chamberlain a hundred marks as a compensation for his claim thereon. While the young king was yet under the dominion of his unworthy mother, his consort, Philippa, gave birth to their firstborn, afterwards the celebrated hero Edward, surnamed the Black Prince. He first saw the light at the palace of Woodstock, June 15, 1330. The great beauty of this infant, 
his size and the firm texture of his limbs filled every one with admiration who saw him like that renowned queen regent of france blanche of castile mother of saint louis philippa chose to nourish her babe at her own bosom it is well known that the portraits of the young philippa and her princely boy form the favorite models for the virgin child at that era in order to celebrate the birth of the heir of england a grand tournament was proclaimed at london philippa and all the female nobility were invited to be present thirteen knights were engaged on each side and the tournament was held in cheapside between wood street and queen street the highway was covered with sand to prevent the horses feet from slipping and a grand temporary tower was erected made of boarding filled with seats for the accommodation of the queen and her ladies but scarcely had this fair company entered the tower when the scaffolding suddenly gave way and all present fell to the ground with the queen though no one was injured all were terribly frightened and great confusion ensued when the young king saw the peril of his wife he flew into a tempest of rage and vowed that the careless carpenters who had constructed the building should instantly be put to death whether he would thus far have stretched the prerogative of an english sovereign can never be known for his angelic partner scarcely recovered from the terror of her fall threw herself on her knees before the incensed king and so effectually pleaded for the pardon of the poor men that edward became pacified and forgave them in the decline of the year thirteen thirty edward the third shook off the restraints imposed upon him by his unworthy mother and her ferocious paramour he executed justice on the great criminal mortimer in the summary and hasty way in which he was always inclined to act when under the impulse of passion and at a distance from his queen no one can wonder that he was impatient to destroy the murderer of his father and of his uncle still this eagerness to execute sudden vengeance under the influence of rage whether justly or unjustly excited is a trait in the character of this mighty sovereign which appears in his youth and which it is necessary to point out in order to develop the beautiful and nearly perfect character of his queen no sooner were the reins of government in the hands of the young king than he vigorously exerted himself for the reformation of the abuses for which the administration of mortimer was infamous many excellent laws were made and others revived to the great satisfaction of the english people but above all things the king had the wisdom to provide a profitable occupation for the active energies of his people blessed be the memory of king edward the third and philippa of hainault his queen who first invented clothes says a monastic chronicler start not gentle reader the english wore clothes before the time of this excellent queen the grateful monk by this invocation merely means to imply that by her advice the english first manufactured cloth philippa young as she was well remembered the sources of prosperity which enriched her own country she established a manufacturing colony at norwich in the year thirteen thirty five but the first steps towards this good work were commenced so early as the third of july thirteen thirty one within a few months of the assumption of power by the youthful king a letter so dated from lincoln is addressed to john kemp of flanders a cloth weaver in wool in which he is informed that if he will come to england with the servants and apprentices of his mystery 
and with his goods and chattels, and with any dyers and fullers who may be inclined willingly to accompany him beyond seas, and exercise their mysteries in the kingdom of England, they shall have letters of protection and assistance in their settlement. Philippa occasionally visited Kemp, and the rest of her colony in Norwich. Nor did she disdain to blend all the magnificence of chivalry with her patronage of the productive arts. Like a beneficent queen of the hive, she cherished and protected the working bees. At a period of her life, which in common characters is considered girlhood, she had enriched one of the cities of her realm by her statistical wisdom. There was wisdom likewise in the grand tournaments she held at Norwich, which might be considered as exhibitions showing the citizens how well, in time of need, they could be protected by a gallant nobility. These festivals displayed the defensive class and the productive class in admirable union and beneficial intercourse, while the example of the queen promoted mutual respect between them. Edward III did not often take part in these visits to Norwich, which were generally paid by the queen while her husband spent some days with his guilty and miserable mother in Castle Rising in Norfolk, a strong proof that he did not consider Isabella a fit companion for his Philippa. It is likely that the establishment of the Flemish artists in England had some connection with the visit that Jeanne of Valois, Countess of Hainaut, paid to her royal daughter in the autumn of 1331. The mother of Philippa was a wise and good woman, who loved peace and promoted the peaceful arts. During her sojourn in England, she further strengthened the beneficial alliance between England and the Low Countries, by negotiating a marriage between the king's sister, Eleonora, and the Duke of Gildress, which was soon after celebrated. End of section 18